Jolene, 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 Jolene. Mad Men, a term coined in the late 1950s to describe the advertising executives of Madison Avenue. They coined it. Oh my God. Uh, it's like joining a party every time. Yeah. It's like coming yeah. in for, uh, you know, to your best friend's apartment and there's already something going on. That's what Exactly. Like. So my point is welcome to They Coined It. That was, where, that was where I was going with this, Dan. It's a long way to get there, but I think it's worth it. I, I do what I can. <laughs> um, <laughs> so um, if you haven't already heard last week's episode, if you're just joining us for the first time, you uh, definitely, I mean, obviously you want to start at the beginning, but you do want to go back and listen to our interview with Brian Bat, our very own Salvatore. Don't, Sal. uh, don't miss that. Sal was great. He was great. Brian was great. Everyone was great. We were great. Fuck. We, had, we were great. We had, <laughs> and thanks to Brian. I mean, it was, he was so gracious and uh, generous with his time. So makes yeah. the makes the show better hopefully hopefully our fans enjoyed it absolutely so the only i just i know we've talked a lot about the imdb tv i love saying that like mm. it's the hardest the thing in the world to say because it's the hardest thing in the world to say uh so just one little update on the imdb tv uh experience which is oh my god they have my so-called life <laughs> So I've been, you know, the, my so-called life fans out there, you know who you are. You're very excited as well. So I've uh, watched a few episodes of that and I love that. But now that was network commercial television with distinct acts. Fox? And, CW? What was that on? No, that was, uh, I don't remember. It was one of the three. It was ABC. It was a... Oh, it was one of the three? Really? Yeah, it was, it was real television. Interesting. Yeah. They get their commercial breaks where God intended. Mm. And I just wanted to, you know, hopefully we'll never, again, we keep talking about it. We're, <laughs> I don't want to keep talking about it, but I, I did. I was like, oh, look, there's like, because again, it, that was a TV show designed for those commercial breaks where Mad Men was not. But, you know, there's so there's like little music sort of like we have, right? Because we're fancy. Um, so anyway, I just wanted well, to throw in that our, in there. In honor of IMDb TV, when we start doing commercials on They Coined It, we're just going to throw them in. Right in the middle of a sentence. And I think that's the, the way to honor our favorite show is to just be random like that. We'll get there. We'll get there. With your help, dear listeners, we will get there. Please review us on Apple, iTunes, iTunes, yes, Apple, whatever. Give us, give us, uh, give us. We have a couple. So that... We could use a few more. Oh, no, we we've got, so we've that... got, we've got a bunch of star ratings. We've got a few yeah. comments and we're, we, we're on our way. Keep Good it up. Stuff. That's how we're going to get the commercials, which we can drop right into the middle of a sentence. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Roberta, shoot. Episode eight. Holy. I know. I'll just stop saying that. Continue. Well, shoot. no, you know what it is? You know what yeah. it is, Dan? It's, um, it's the first season is what it is. This first season is like an entire series worth of Hall of Fame episodes. 
but it's also recovering from red in the face. I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, well, yeah, there's a bit, a bit of peak and valley syndrome going on, but um, you know, it's there's so much. And what's interesting about shoot, obviously, we'll get into this, is is the fact that this is another one that does not move the larger plot in significant ways. It's a bit of a diversion with McCann and blah 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 and Betty and this and that. But it's it's crafted much more cleverly, and um, the storytelling is much more swift and and, and great. And maybe the, and maybe significant. Yeah, it, you're right, and I think it actually uh, proves something about it doesn't have to all feed the greater is it doesn't all have to feed the greater yeah. storyline yeah. in order to be a fantastic right. freaking uh right. mad men episode because it so happens that the that the really great episodes of the season i mean most of the great episodes of the season are the ones that do just that right that that move that plot along and don's mystery and blah 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 um and the ones that don't tend to, you know, seem to have a, a sort of a tier two within the series, within the season, which is sort of the apple falling very short way from the tree. But, um, but this, but this one, is, I don't know. I don't know. If, to I, that, don't, right? I don't know if this, uh, if this proves that math, I, I think, I don't know. I don't know. If, yeah. I, it's the I, exception for sure. I don't know. I, it might be the rule. I think, well, I listen, think red in, I think red in the face is the exception. I see. Okay. Yeah. No, that's, that, that's, that's a way to go. Um, but listen, we can't talk about this episode without saying that it was written by Chris Provenzano and Matthew Weiner. Now, Directed, it's, it's, yes. It's just interesting that his that Matt's name is on it because I I it just it, I, again I know that his handwriting goes on every episode when he chooses to and when not to. Yeah, yeah, so it's like how much he really drove this one is interesting. I think I think the it would be like there's like a base level of involvement that goes with each and every episode. And when it spikes a little, you know, he'll put his name on it is, is how I would regard it. Yeah. Interesting director, Paul Feig, that Paul Feig. Can you imagine that Paul Feig? Bridesmaids. um, Gosh, I should have done a list. He's He's a big time director now. Oh, that Paul Feig. That Paul Feig. So, okay. So, so that moment, I didn't even know. Oh, so wait, John Hamm was, okay. So I am like the woman who never sees modern uh, contemporary comedies. So I literally, I don't watch any, but John Hamm was in Bridesmaids. He was. And also there was an incredibly comic moment in this episode. And we might as well just, I'm going to just say it right now. When with the fight behind them, Slattery, you know. Oh yeah, sure. The, the, Sterling the, the says, gag. Yeah, uh, yeah. Roger says to Don, drop you off, right? Like that with the fighting behind. Like that was, I mean, that was like a classically comic moment. Now I have some context for it. That Absolutely. Coffee. Absolutely. Carry on. Yeah. Sorry. Oh. And um, I'm not going to let you get through this. Go ahead. It's okay. The education of Roberta Lip continues. <laughs> um, in fact, I want to, I, I know him mostly as a director. I think he's been an actor too, but he's just, he's done a, the bridesmaid. He did a bunch of, a bunch of the office episodes. Original air date, September 13th. 2007 taking place approximately august 1960 so um this episode like i said it doesn't revolve around the central mystery of don's identity it doesn't have to do with any of those larger plot themes from the season it really kind of has it, it you you could almost <laughs> you could almost spin off a tv show 
from this episode. There's just so much richness to the, 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 the way Betty is explored and her character mm-hmm. and um, some of the themes that we're going to talk about because it's almost way too much to fit into, you know, a 60 minute drama as far as I'm concerned. There's also, without getting into spoilers, seven years later, you want to come back to this episode. Because there's Strangely, yes. so much in this episode that Bibles out into the future in mm-hmm. so many of those characters. Yeah. Uh, across, you know, and again, I'm not going to get into it, but this is a, this is a more important episode looking backwards at it. Yeah, no, I think, I think this, and this rewatching was different for me. I've only, this is not one of the episodes I'll go back to mm-hmm. randomly and say, oh, I feel like watching Mad Men. I'll, I'll watch, shoot, that I've only, this might be the second or third time I've ever seen it all the way through. So it never resonated the way it did for me this time, which a lot of these episodes are resonating different. That's a dis- different discussion for a different podcast. 15 years later, day. I mean. Yeah. Uh, but the themes kind of jumped out. But, you know, though, it is an, um, it is remembered iconically. Sometimes you, you can ask somebody about Mad Men and they will say, Betty holding up that gun and yeah. Betty, Betty shooting the pigeons. But yeah, people, people, so it may not have resonated for you, but that, that visual, which, mm-hmm. you know, years later gets replaced with, uh, with Peggy and the sunglasses, right? Yeah. Like, I, like it's, it's well, I think nice- it's the cigarette dangling out of a woman's mouth that, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, no, that was some bad. The show has a way of creating these visual icons that's yeah. just beyond brilliant. Um, yeah. And and Betty and Peggy are often the the, the recipients of those, so that's yeah. it's always it's always a lot of fun. But you know, I think under this episode, there's this a unifying theme, if to the extent there is one. Um, and there usually is something of a unifying theme with the best Mad Men episodes, and mm. and in shoot, it's about. I mean, we can call it harshness, but it's almost like the reality of just how harsh nature is, right? There's a natural harshness, a natural violence to our world. And it's Agreed. almost this not almost this non-judgmental kind of like, look, that's the laws of the jungle, pal. You the know, universe, you're you're out there. The universe is indifferent. Right. Exactly. Right? Exactly. Right? Picking yeah, up. Yeah, no, I I came up with the same thing. I think that there's a lot of different threads and themes and we're going to pull on as many, as many of them as we can. But um, to me, choosing to view it as a, as a document, as a nature documentary (laughs) was, was the most, it it gave me the most information. Here we see the Hobart bird. (laughs) Coming in on its prey, whooping in. Well, right. eyeing let's, its you know what prospects, right? Yeah, let's start right there. Why not? Yeah. Um, well, what I mm-hmm. what I never got quite in the same way before. So one of the things I noticed about the whole, uh, the meeting the meeting of them outside in the lobby. What I observed this time more closely is the uh, sort of couple swapping. And how mm. comfortable that was when Hobart's wife takes Don and says, let's go and, and take a walk and get the drinks. And I was like, didn't Betty just get in trouble for this? So I just observed it more closely. Yeah. And then, and then later Hobart says, I, you know, I can't remember what the line was, but he basically says to Don, I, I, I stalked you. I found out you were going to see Fiorello and I got the same tickets. Right. Mm. So that whole thing. Was a setup. So when he, 
was a setup. The, the wife was instructed. Oh, I, I, I made a note of that. Again, this was one of those things I never would have picked up earlier on, but now I did, which is that wife was in on it. She, her taking Don away was so that, like, like this right. was all set up. Like Jim says to his wife, I can't remember her name now, um, but everybody's played so wonderfully. You need to uh, take, to take to, I, need, I need alone time with Betty because I'm going to put her in a modeling thing and that's going to help us Lord Don. I mean, that's, that's right. that, that, simple as that, right? I mean, it was, I mean, she's done that. You, you, you realize, that, again, the backstories of these characters we only see once ever, uh, where it's like, she's done that a zillion times and that's it's worked right. 99.5% of the time. It's, it's dead accurate. Um, so but, but, but yeah, that was all a I mean, charade. And that was some high-end stalking. That's, you know, polar bears, polar bears who, who spend weeks, act, liter, actually, you know, days or weeks or whatever, stalking humans, you know. We, we all, so it, that was, whew, Yeah, that was no, we're, we're introduced to Jim Hobart as kind of the king of the jungle, right? Like, that's, that's the role that he plays. He's the, the lion with the biggest mane or whatever you want to call it. Yeah. But, um, yeah, it starts right there with, with that kind of, you know, we're in our element. This is what we do. This is just it's just a natural part of the process. Is me wooing you, you getting wooed, me sending you, uh, you know, gifts at the office, and all this kind of uh, signifiers that are part of nature. You know, and it's played out, of course, in business and office and in this process. But wow, and uh, and Jim's Hobart's dominance. I mean, when he doesn't pretend he's not doing it. He, do, he has those golf. I mean, the golf clubs was the, I don't give a shit, Sterling and Cooper. What yeah, do you think? Yeah. yeah. Someone's going to have to walk those to... clubs through that office. Yeah. And there's a card right on it or whatever, you know, there, you know, so. The, 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 his I can take your girl. I can take your girl anytime I want. And if I don't take it, you should thank me because I could. That's right. Yeah. That's right. That's uh, what it's, it's, all um, about. it's like the song Jolene. <laughs> don't make me sing because you know i will <laughs> um but that's the that's where we start off and so it's similar to when we see those birds uh in the in the front yard uh with the drapers and the neighbor and it's this very kind of poetic kind of soft lovely music and the very kind of scenic I'm I'm picturing that, that I'm now literally hearing that music from like the sixties and seventies that would do that. Doo, doo. I can't, I can hear yeah, it. It's not, it's not resonating. It was, it was beautiful at the time. And of course it was another David Carbonara score. I'm sure yeah. it's so beautiful, but like, I don't, I'm not hearing it in my head the way I do sometimes others, but it was just, but it, it was sort of like, um, it was crafted, right? It wasn't, yeah. it, it was, it was clearly a, a set piece the way they were going to do this. And it was wonderfully done, <clears throat> but it, it was a setup for the fact that, because we're still talking about harshness here, it was a setup for the fact that when we see those birds again, the second time around, uh, Polly, <laughs> Polly went dog on those birds and goes and rips one out of the air and, and I guess kills it, bloodies it, but, but probably kills it. And the neighbor's upset and I'm going to kill your dog. And it's this whole scene that's obviously very upsetting to the kids. Um, yeah, there's, I mean, there's blood. There's. Yeah, clearly blood. Death, there's yeah. death. There's a threat of death. Again, predatory nature. 
nature. There's, it's it, this yeah. is you know non-judgmental. Again, it's a dog being a dog. It's not like it wasn't it the dog wasn't provoked in some sort of artificial way or the humans weren't getting in the way these were birds flying and a dog reacting the way a dog might react from time to time well, it, was, it, was, um, it was it was it was the jungle as far as i was concerned so another thread in this episode is there's a lot of manipulation happening oh yeah those sure. birds were not flying naturally those birds birds were released by mm-hmm. the neighbor yeah. And then the neighbor, so you've got, a, you've got a human, I mean, again, this gets a little esoteric or whatever. Um, the neighbor, here we are, it's the 50, it's the, it's the early 60s when we've been trying to sort of squeeze out nature into, into frozen food, right? <laughs> so you've got, um, you've got this guy, he's manipulating nature. He's, he's, He's a he's a birder or whatever the mm-hmm. whatever the fuck those pigeon people are. I don't mm-hmm. sorry pigeon people. Um, I always think of uh, NYPD Blue and 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 the pigeons on the roof. <laughs> but you know he wasn't do that wasn't natural. That wasn't just a natural right. Right. He, he wasn't he, keeping them in like that, an and, arboretum. Yeah. And then he and then he was angry that nature behaved as nature behaved, which was the dog doing what was completely natural to the dog. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. then he had a, you know, a, a violent, rea- a violent reaction. So for sure, for sure. Um, but more predator and prey, more, yep. more nature kind of doing its thing again, without, as far as I'm concerned, it was without, without judgment. It was, there wasn't a point to the dog killing the bird other right. than that's what dogs sometimes do when they can reach the bird, you know? Yes. And to me, it was this very, like you call it like a nature documentary. You know, there's a, there's a, one of Tennyson's most famous poems called In Memoriam. And there's a line in the, in the poem called, the line in the poem that goes, he, he refers to nature red in tooth and claw. And this poem was written in 1850 and it was, mm. you know, the age of Darwin and natural selection was being first understood and, um, Geology became a natural science for the first time. Technology was just allowing us as humans to study more of the natural world. Like it was just getting to that point. And so we were learning so many things about our world, things like species go extinct. We didn't know this for a long time. You know, things die out uh, as the natural course of things, not because people were smart or stupid or this or that, but because that's what happens. and we were learning so much about our world. It wasn't all beautiful ponds and quiet forests and beautiful streams you wanted to sit by the side of the river and paint, you know. That's the, that was the, the, the view of nature for just how serene and beautiful. And if we just leave it as is, it, it would be perfect for humans to live. When the reality is there's another side, side of that coin. There is a brutal yeah. efficiency to nature, uh, a predator and prey survival of the fittest world that exists within that larger beauty. I think and, we, I think we see a lot of at least attempts at brutal efficiency in this episode. Yeah, no question. No question. Oh, if, if you are a superstar creative at a smaller firm and you stand out, then you are going to get noticed by the bigger dog, by the bigger lion in the jungle. And they're going to try and nab you and they're not going to be apologetic about it. And that's, that's who I am. That's how I act. And 
I'm the alpha and, and, and I'm going to steal your girl. So that's the larger sort of, you know, layers within, within the story of, of what's going on between McCann and, and, and Sterling Cooper. But to me, this kind of nature red in tooth and claw is like, we visibly see it when the bird is bloody and, you know, coming out of Polly's mouth, but it's Pete hauling off on Ken in the middle of the office space. Yes. You know, it's Betty getting angry at her therapist. It's, it's, um, all these kinds of harshness. I think so much, so much, I, I think it was Betty who said the line, Manhattan is harsh. You know, it's like, I don't right. want to be a model anymore. Like it's harsh out there. It's a, it's rough out there, baby. It's a, it's a rough world. Right. Yeah. It was interesting too. her, her, uh, if we can just light on that uh, therapy session for a moment, because mm. there's, there's two things. One was she referred to her mother disapproving of her modeling and her mother said something about being in Manhattan. Mm. And even though she didn't say the words, my mother said it was harsh, I could hear that echoing. I could hear that that's what her mother said. Right. Right. Oh, when um, she finally said it, you think that was a yeah, I think, an internal callback to- I actually don't remember which order in the episode those two things happened, but- She um, said it late. She said the words, it was when her yeah, final yeah, decision she, to die- Yeah, you're right. You know. You're right. Of course, she's yeah. covering up the fact that she was let go, right? Correct. Mm -hmm. But also the other thing in that episode, in that uh, scene with the therapist that I just wanted to uh, bring up is, you know, it's classic. It's actually classically how therapy works is you get angry, is, you know, the therapist says you seem angry uh, and you say, what do you mean angry? Yeah, right. Exactly. <laughs> like that. Like, unfortunately, he's so in, ineffective with her right. that he, you know, he, you know, she's not there. She's not there capable or interested in really connecting those dots. Mm -hmm. But it was, um, but Betty's anger. Listen, this episode is, and, and again, it, it came up in, in red in the face, which was, a lot of misdirected anger from a lot of people, but certainly Betty, who's walking around with this pleasant face covering up rage mm. and goes and slaps Helen Bishop. <laughs> Here we are again. How right. does how does this episode end? I mean, well, well, uh, you know, the ending that that incredible ending yeah. is a combination of her nature fueled mama bear. That's right, mama mama lion. It's more more rules of the jungle. That's right. But also her own, obviously, yeah. you know, everything leads to yep. her own rage. Yeah. I, I boiled over and this is me settling down again, but it's still simmering yeah. is what that is for sure. And of course she looks great. So the, the, the show kind of <laughs> works on all levels, <laughs> but, um, but yeah, I mean, you're watching this and that's why I say like you can make an entire series out of this episode of exploring these concepts. Of course, the series, this isn't the last time we're gonna deal with, with uh, mass right. rage or anger or, or dominance or the laws of nature. The, the show does quite well exploring all of them, but, but it's, it's sort of like a, like a piece of bullion cube. It's so concentrated, <laughs> everything yeah. into the 60 minutes because um, the story is, you're distracted so wonderfully by story and the directing and of course the performances but you don't even know what's happening you don't even know what's happening you don't notice that um you know there's these women constantly wearing other people's clothes 
in this episode. There's all these yeah. things happening. You're, so you've got Betty, you know, trying on these clothes from a guy named Johnny, who obviously is, or at least meant to think is supposed to be Versace. Yeah. And the clothes are the same kind of bright style. So we can, we can have a little fun interpreting that. Um, but there's also, you know, the story about Betty having to give the fur back to Don and Don getting it back to her. And that very dramatic scene at the end and of the modeling. Fur. If we're talking about nature, it's yeah, fur. right. Exactly. <laughs> what was it? She said, "Was it? Did she ask what it was? Was it mink? Was it? I don't think she, she says did. the name of the animal. I think at some point I could be. I wrong. don't remember, but she. Maybe I was just watching Casino when they said it was the chinchilla. <laughs> um, but because uh, Casino's on Showtime like every four minutes this month. I don't um, know Showtime, and I've never seen Casino. All right, that's another. That's another day for. That's another day for another podcast. Um but everyone should go see Casino. Uh, but yeah, and then the very dramatic ending of the final Coke shoot where they're literally, you know, dramatically taking off her costume jewelry and yeah, the, they, all the they, accessories, they're all she there. She says, you can keep, or he says, I, you oh, can right. keep the dress. Um, and then, but then without, you know, without a warning, hey, I'm right behind you removing yep. your jewelry. Like she's right. already expressed that giving back the clothes was the hardest part. <laughs> it is right. how Don, years before, Landed in her. his yeah. manipulative, stalky, but, effect, well, but effective. He's wooing, he's wooing a woman. I mean, no, no, and that's fine. I'm not, I'm not, but it is, it is, um, it is a plot. It's manipulative in the sense that I know you couldn't get this for yourself. If, if not for me, you could not have this. Oh, no, so no, I'm, I'm doing it for you, for sure. It's more than, it's, it's, I'm not saying it's a terrible thing, but, uh, but there, to, there, to me, there, there, there is a fair comparison between how Hobart is wooing Don, finding out what, what show he's going to be at, and then he starts, and then the golf clubs, and then all the things that he's doing to, uh, you know, yeah. giving the, his wife a job, all of that. Mm -hmm. There is a comparison to that to uh, to how Don wooed Betty. Yeah, she you know there's a modeling shoot there. He just he he hears her say, "I'm not," and I'm not saying it's a bad thing. Sometimes plotting and planning and a little behind the scenes manipulation isn't evil. But it, it's I, how I men have gotten women for the since the beginning of time. I mean, it's, <laughs> it's not, yeah, it's not that deep. It's like, I mean, but, but, and it's funny. What, what's funny here is the parallel. The way to get Don is the same way to get Betty, which is to make Betty happy. <laughs> right, except it didn't work. So Yeah, it didn't work this time. That, but, but that's the I mean, approach. It, you know, the, so the main, the main plot of this is clear and, and un, un, undiluted. You can't, you know, it's, it's Hobart is trying to woo Don Draper to come to McCann Erickson and he's doing it by any means possible, including giving Betty this modeling opportunity. Mm -hmm. And, but from there, Don and Betty are in two different experiences. Mm -hmm. And, and, uh, and what's interesting is that from the beginning, Betty, I don't know, she should have been suspicious. It was that she had the information you know, I think he, she was suspicious, right? But, but well, but then she she was suspicious, but she was also flattered. I mean, there was the 
there was the pull, the lure of what was intended to lure her, which, you know, it, again, I think Jim Hobart was hoping that Don would be incapable, the way some men are, of doing something that would hurt their wives, right? Don knew full well that not taking the job was the end of Betty's modeling. Yeah. And he said so. He said as much on the phone, Hobart. Like, we hate, we hate to lose the both of you, <laughs> right? So yeah. Don knows that if I don't take this job, Betty's, this modeling thing is a sham. So here's the thing. So Betty's, Betty's motives are pretty, are pretty clear, right? She's flattered. She's happy to be productive. She's actually figuring out how to quote unquote, have it all. She likes being pretty in the center of attention. And, yeah. you know, she's, she's, she's a housewife. And what and and if you go to the last sequence leading right up to the shooting, they though there's this there's her doing laundry and you kids be quiet and you know and all of those moments uh, where she was kind of in her in her nightgown or house dress or whatever that was but still looking pretty as a picture those moments each of those frames looked like a a television commercial For the, sure. the the products were in view. And each of those looked like, I'm a perfect housewife, bing, bing. Yeah. And the next thing you know, she's out there with the cigarette <laughs> shooting. So her trajectory is very um, clear and obvious. There was something that she didn't know she still wanted. It right. got offered to her. She set aside any feelings of possibly being manipulated. manipulated. Don promised her he wasn't going to screw it up even though Don's existence was what would or wouldn't screw it up. Yeah. You know, the dynamics between the two of them we can, we can get into, but her trajectory is simple. And then she gets her heart broken and then she's full of rage. What I want to talk to you about, Dan, what I don't quite understand is Don in this episode. And I'm not saying I don't understand, like, how could he? I just think it's, he has a much less clear why is he never interested from the beginning? Why? Like he's, I don't think he, there, I didn't get a sense that he turned Hobart down to hurt Betty. I don't think that's. No, 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 no. He no. did not like this manipulation from the get go. He was solid. Right. And what was that? I think, um, there's a couple of things. I think if you're Don and you know that your name's not Don, Mm. Good um, one. Sterling <laughs> Sterling Cooper <laughs> is the perfect place to hide out for 10 or 20 years. Mm. Because you're making your name in the industry, they're throwing money at you, they appreciate you. You're not going to work on Pan Am, but if you let your ambition, and Don's not not ambitious, but if you let your ambition make these decisions for you. Go work for McCann. Play in Yankee Stadium. The spotlight's going to be a lot more on you. And something that it's just not the place you can hide out. Yeah. McCann's not the place you can't hide in Yankee Stadium. They're going to they're going to care why you can't say what you did in the war. Someone's going to look into that and someone's going to care. Mm. Um, it's just there, there's the, the spotlight is way too and I think Don knows that I think Don completely understands 
the ceiling that he's placed on himself emotionally, personally, professionally by what he's done. Now, mm. are there alternatives to the way that he's thinking? Is he right necessarily about all this? You could, you could make an argument either way. That, that's a whole different discussion. But I think to Don's, the decisions that Don has made, he has made under this construct that let me, I, I, can, I can do very well for myself right here and not have to look over my shoulder every minute. And that's when you see things like we talked about in 5G, piercing the bubble is so existentially <laughs> Right, because he, he, was, he thought he was safe there. No, that, yeah. I was not yeah. expecting that, that analysis, and that's really interesting. It's one, I think, and again, I think there's other dynamics, and we can also talk about those, but I think this is one of those decisions based on what you're describing this is a decision he made a long time ago. Like I'm in a sense, McCann, whoever BBDO, any of the big guys come my way. I'm a no. I'm Cause saying, I never I'm got a sense for one second from the lobby, you know, the intermission at Fiorello no. to the golf clubs, to whatever, to the pictures, to the whatever. I didn't get a sense that Don ever seriously no. entertained it. Correct. He was never really looking at it going, huh? What would that be like? McCann? No. And he you gets know? the follow-up phone call and he won't meet him for at the Algonquin. He's, he is a hard no. And that's what, ha and that's what I was, you know, and I think the more I do, I think a couple other things. And the I photo, think, let me just interrupt. The, the photos yeah. of Betty were the nail in the coffin because it gave him the out. It gave Don the sort of public justification for why he's not going to do this. In other words, he can wrestle with it internally and go, yeah, you know, part of me might like to do that, but, you know, I made this decision long ago that this is how I was going to have to do this. And so I'm going to play cat and mouse with them for a little while, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have to wait for something to come along that makes my decision for me. And the pictures were that thing because that's where he could say, look what this guy's doing. He's using my wife. This is so, so crass. It's kind of like, you know what it is? It's kind of like... Um, it's in reverse of like the Jay Leno, David Letterman taking over for the Tonight Show. Jay Leno jockeyed and lobbied and like pitched himself to anyone who would listen for that job. And David Letterman was sort of like the clear choice. He was like right. the guy who'd put in his time, didn't think he'd have to lobby. If I, if I have to go like suck up to these assholes at corporate to get this job, I don't want it. And of they course what happened, great. they picked the suck up guy. <laughs> But that's, a, that's great. But Letterman played it cool and he might not have got it, gotten what he wanted in the near term. But, you know, it all remember worked out, movie? yada, yada. But, but remember I, that movie, remember that movie about it? It was called The Late Shift. It was based on the book. It was book. called The Late Shift. Yeah. I, somebody, I, I heard somebody on a podcast mention it recently. recently. I believe it is streaming somewhere. That Oh, fun movie. Betty Thomas how, directed it. Yeah. Uh, Great film, great, great fun, you know, and, and yeah. listen, these days, not everybody even knows that story, you know, existed anymore. So <laughs> get, go get it's your an ancient Hollywood story. And seriously, right. <laughs> Michael Ovitz was like a Hollywood legend at the time. Now he's a yeah. Um. So anyway, yeah. So, so there's a, I, I see a little of that dynamic of Don, like, you know, the, the, even if I wanted this job, the last thing I would do is like, you know, campaign for it. Yeah. And I think this was the hardest to get a clear take on. But, you know, Roger's standing there saying, this is, we're your family, basically. Mm -hmm. And 
Don is not giving him a hug or a blowjob, right? Mm -hmm. But he's, you know, he's got such a strange relationship with relationships and he's got Mm -hmm. such a strange relationship with what family is and what he says to Betty at the end, you've got one job that you do so well. You're an angel. You're a mother to those two kids. And if only I had one of those. So I do think despite his, he's got a wall about expressing it. I do think he likes the small town family. He does. He does. Um, And that might be partly out of necessity, partly out of genuine preference. But what's brilliant about that scene with Roger, where Roger's, you know, throwing the, throwing the entire business in his lap to say, here, take what you want. Yeah. What's so great about it is, you know, because of all these things that we just said, Don, that, that drives Don's motivation, what he can do, what he can't do, what he will do, what he won't do. It results in him doing nothing and him sitting back, you know, yes, it's a hard, it's a hard note. It's Jim Hobart, but he hasn't said, you know, lose my number. He just, right. He hasn't said hard. No, he keeps, he keeps kind of keeping him at arm's length. Yeah. It keeps the conversation going, but is obviously noncommittal. But with Roger, you know, it's like, wow, if I just say nothing, I'm going to improve my situation here at work, get more money. They're going to profess their undying love for me all by, you know, whereas if I just told Jim Hobart to go jump off the pier, this would all like conversation over, right? They don't, (laughs) I'm no, I'm, 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 I'm desired. And that's what's making me so, so uh, loved here at work. So why not keep this going? So there's a little of Don's manipulation. And then there's some, there's something else. Don says to Roger in that scene, Don and Roger have two scenes. um, uh, I think two scenes. Anyway, we're talking about their, their final scene where he, where he says, I'll stay and I'm not. Oh, in Roger's office. Yeah. Roger's office. Uh, what one of the things he says is, "I like the way you do business." Now, that was after I, seeing Betty's pictures, by the way. Yes. Okay. So that's good. I hadn't correct. I hadn't thought of that. What I did think of were two things. The 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 more prevalent one was we've just come from seeing what um, Pete and Harry did to uh, mm-hmm. to manipulate. To, again, to manipulate, like, I mean, that shit doesn't fly. You don't, <laughs> nobody gets away with that today. There's too much, yeah, well. there's too much auditing, at least not in the, not, <laughs> I mean, in politics, we're not even gonna, but in advertising, in, in proper firms, nobody plays with, with, you, you can't just make a buy for a client. You haven't talked to that client about. Yeah, so that it's, a little, get it's a little pat, yeah. So that you can win another client, right? Um, and it was, it was a brilliant uh unethical move but the you know the the flip on you know the the surprise there was Bert Bert and Roger loved it and Mm -hmm. praised praised them and so that's how we do business that Don just that was the first thing I thought was like you do I wasn't sure how Don (laughs) I'm not sure how Don felt about that but that's Uh, that's kind of an all's fair love and war kind of thing right and then the other thing is um which is more rules of the jungle by the way yeah yes and then the other, that's right. And then the other thing, the other thing that, that Roger had mentioned was, was knowing about the bonus that Bert had given him. 
Mm-hmm. So, which was another manipulation, but it was a, it was a, it was a front of your pants yeah. <laughs> manipulation. Um, you know, so it's just, again, I was like, what, what is it you're drawing on about, about liking the way we do business? And those are those. So, and then the third thing, like you said, is the, is Betty's pictures is what they didn't do. Right. Um, so interesting. And all of that is really, it's just, again, Don was much more Betty's story story in this episode is intense and stunning and powerful and easy to read. Mm-hmm. Don's story in this is a little harder to read, I thought, and just as interesting. Um, oh, yeah. and, then, and then, you know, the other thing that you saw in this episode is, again, a look at their marriage, a d- very different look at their marriage. Mm-hmm. I, think with, I think we can conclude they do have a real marriage. Mm-hmm. It's a complicated one. They do know each other, you know. She knows what he wants and doesn't want of her and for her. Mm -hmm. He knows what she wants and doesn't want. They were, I mean, he's walking around with this guilt knowing how terrible this whole thing is for her Mm -hmm. and what's being done behind the scenes. Right. And he really, it, it, it really hurts him. I think. It does. And I think that that's part of the motivation now that I think about it for him being, um, so effusive for, for knowing, for knowing that she needed to hear that. Okay. So that path is now closed to you. Um, but the path that's open to you is no less worthy and valid and rewarding and appreciated. You know, so I think there's a, there's a genuine um, compassion for what she's going through. Yeah. He doesn't talk to her like that every Wednesday. That's you know, right. It's like she needed to hear something like that. I think he knew it. And he gets the result he wants. He does yeah. not want his wife modeling. <laughs> right. Yeah. Work, working or modeling. Well, he had that issue. You know, he kind of kept quiet about it. Yes. And then when the issue with the dog and the birds and where were you and where was the babysitter, I think that's what began to highlight how, you know, because I think she, they're having that conversation and she's like almost overcompensating. It's like, oh, she w- they were over at the neighbors and they were fine and they didn't even know anything happened. You know, like she was trying to cover over everything right. and smooth it out. Um, so there's and clearly she, that dynamic and tension in it. And she's like, I wouldn't have known about it anyway, which is true. Uh, true. And also she's not that She's never, she's not great with them. You very rarely, by the way, I want to. <laughs> not the most this, doting mother. Is the this point. is the first we see of Sally Draper, really. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, we will, we will see this. Uh, we've mentioned it already. We will continue to mention it. Kieran and Shipka was a find. I mean, when you cast like a five-year-old or whatever she was in the pilot, because remember that pilot was filmed a full year before mm-hmm. the, the second episode. Um, you don't, you hope she's good. And one of the things that Matt, Matt has talked about is in his writing and casting of children, he, he, he's, he's a, he's a father of, is it, I just blanked out as a three or four sons. I want to say four, but I'm not, I don't know. I think he has four sons. He has a bunch of kids. He has a whole bunch of sons. Uh, only one of them has been on the show, <laughs> right? Right. Um, he knows that children are real people that are something you have to like, it's a whole person. It's not just some, some generic kid in your background. Mm -hmm. Like kids are a 
a force like any other person you live with. And he always wanted that represented. So we're starting to get into the real people. But, but Kiernan, Shipka, Kiernan Shipka, he's referred to her as a prodigy. He had no idea no what question. he was stepping in when he got her. And you start to see it here. Yeah. Um, I don't remember how many Bobbies we're up to. Um, they went through four. Yeah, he was, he was, he was one for two on the Draper kids. We'll just, we'll just yeah, say that. Yeah. Yeah. Bobby, there, 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 there was a bunch of Bobbies, but anyway, we just start to see the talent of, uh, the natural talent. Of, yeah. You know, and it, it, as we start to meet the actual amazing. kids, you know, yeah, we haven't, I mean, Sally has a, um, one of the, again, not a spoiler here, but one of the really wonderful things about the series is getting to know the character of Sally Draper. And yeah. we, we, we get to know her and Kiernan is growing up on the show clearly over the, over the yeah. seven seasons. So her development, not just character's development, but her development playing that role is like, it's before your eyes. There are scenes, yeah. there are moments, there are episodes where it's beyond stunning. So, yeah. And we'll see, and Sally, and he, he wrote to that. Sally became yeah. a, a more prominent character because he had this incredible talent on his hands. So no question. He, wrote, he wrote to her abilities as the years go by. But anyway, it's the first time we really meet them other than a little drive-by. Dan, you want to take a quick break? I'd love to. All right. Ready? Jolene, Jolene, <laughs> Jolene, Jolene. All right. We'll be right back. We might never come back. <laughs> I'm going to just start a podcast now. Okay. Hey, we're back. <laughs> we're confused. <laughs> Don't ask. Um, all right. One thing I just wanted to touch on in the, uh, if there's a nature docu document, if there's a nature documentary to be watched, um, one thing we, we might notice is that in nature, homosexuality exists. So it's just, this is just one of these fun, like mad men, does it's like little lyrical sort of there's echoes through the episode. So one thing you, you know, one thing is Betty says in, in the proper time stamp period of the 1960, uh, that the songs are gay. Um, when, when they're talking about enjoying or not, or not enjoy, enjoying the Broadway musical, right? The songs are, I like the songs they're gay. Um, later, Betty makes the Betty is in the Betty is having a conversation with Francine and she says to her, Oh, apparently he's courting Don. Um, and Francine says, what did he say? Betty says, well, basic, he's, he basically, here's the quote. He basically said the man was trying to sleep with one of us and he didn't like the idea of either. So there's a reference to the existence of homosexuality. Mm -hmm. And then, um, and then, of course, there's the reference to Giovanni, who, um, and that whole conversation about Giovanni, whether you know he's Versace or not, it's, you know, Francine keeps going, well, didn't he hit on you? Didn't nothing, no petting, no anything? And, <laughs> and Betty's like, no, no, there was no. nothing there. What do you mean? No, he just and, like me you know, It's just very right. obvious. Right. You know, it, I mean, exactly. So, you know, so here's this, this, uh, this relationship she was in, you know, whatever kind of relationship that was with, with a gay man. And then we meet Ronnie Gittridge, who is Jim's brother-in-law, who, who, you know, we meet, we meet out him. on Ronnie. I don't know. I'm not, not sure. Exactly. I love his line, his line when he meets Betty or when, I, you know, she apologizes. This is another example of, uh, we talked, we talked earlier about, you know, the significance of 
clothing and having it on and taking it off. And, uh, and she shows up in this obviously wildly inappropriately overstated dress. And he says, please, I'm overwhelmed with the style of you, (laughs) which is maybe the gayest thing I've ever heard. So, you know, it's, it's peppered through the episode. And I think that's of note and also fun. It's good stuff. We already touched on this, that the, that the, um, it's sort of a little bit of a repeat of, of ladies room of the second episode where you're seeing a lot of these, these, these guys being guys and being predatory and, and, and really predatory, right? There's the whole scene where they're talking about Peggy. There's the scene about, uh, Hildy. That's, that is Pete's, um, secretary. You know, again, in this jungle, in this nature, right? There's, 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 a, there's, these guys are going around like packs of hyenas in this episode, and it's really clear. Um, and, and how the women survive that, I think, is, is, is something I keep seeing. Again, Hildy, Hildy handles it her way. Joan handles it her way. Peggy handles it her way. Now, Matthew Weiner has talked about. Peggy's weight gain, which which we are now seeing as a as a plot point. So there were a series of fat suits. I am so uncomfortable with this topic. I can't even tell you, but I he has said that a reason one of the things that you see in Peggy's character in season one is she's literally eating to gain weight to survive this scrutiny. Again, I have mixed feelings about that, but I, I do want to address it. But I, what I really want to get to is the scene between Peggy and Joan. Peggy, this isn't China. There's no money in virginity. I'm not a virgin. No, of course not. I just realized something. You think you're being helpful? Well, I am trying, dear. I'm going home. You've got two scenes. The one where, where she first says, I ripped my dress, and, and that was great. But we get to the second scene where she's now returning the dry cleaned dress. And... Um, why don't you keep it? And I've noticed you've gained weight. And she's saying all these harsh, judgmental, feeling directions and criticisms and takes on Peggy. And, and Peggy finally stops and just looks at her and she says, and I apologize, I don't have the exact quote, but it is it, so moving to me. Oh, you think you're trying to help? You, you're yeah. you're trying to be helpful, right? Yeah. And I just, it's the and she's of course, dear. Mm. And you look at Joan's face, and it's of course, like what what do you think? Of course, I'm trying to help you. Right. And pe- like just it is the most you know this show can be so harsh. And there was a lot of, again, there was a lot of touching moments between Don and Betty, but that moment where Peggy stops 
her own human reaction to being criticized and being put down and her instinct for survival. And she just looks over there at Joan and goes, oh, I get it. Mm. You're really trying to help. And she, Peggy, touches Joan's arm and says, have a good night or whatever, whatever her final greeting is. And I just, again, this, this show sometimes lacks those human moments, but when you get them, it's everything. It is. It's, it's like the record scratch and every, whatever comes right after is, is the point. Right. And, um, you know, Joan, the character is so often a surrogate for the men. Like she's so taken up the dynamic and the cause and made it work for her and her life and her, her ability to, to grow as it were is within the world as it exists, right? It's everything from sleeping with Roger to being the office manager and, and keeping the, the women kind of in line. We saw the way she was in Babylon. You know, she was the man in the focus group to, to keep the women in line. Like she's often the, the voice of the male dynamic or culture or whatever you say as a as this buxom completely feminine character it, yeah it's really you you did bring that up before and and i've never thought about it before that her as a surrogate for the man she's like you know every every tv show needs needs the character that tells the truth right yeah. so yeah. she's like the representation of the patriarchy yeah but, very much but so. she but she gets to say it to peggy Right. It, it's, it's like, yeah, it's like really interesting. It, it really is. And it, you know, it, it, it both gives power to that patriarchy, but also in a moment like this with Peggy, it almost undermines it because Peggy is seeing through the bullshit and is saying, you know, in these stark terms, <laughs> you have it wrong. You're trying to be helpful as in you're attempting to doing something to do something but you're not succeeding. You're not helping me when you say those things. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm trying to be compassionate toward you because I think your heart is in the right place is what Peggy's saying, but it's not landing. You're, you're missing your mark when you talk that way. Yeah. I think going back to something we talked about earlier, right? Peggy has this moment of grace that we don't as humans often get. It takes everything to get out of your own way and your own reaction to just mm -hmm. see over there what that intention is or what's driving that over yeah. there you know, as much as it is it's driving you crazy yeah but it is the indifference of 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 people's nature mm -hmm. there's you know she suddenly peggy had a moment of of just seeing joan as joan is yeah. without it being malicious or or anything, just devoid of a meaning in the best possible way. Yeah. It's just nature. And, it, and it's tied to the fact that Peggy is starting to accomplish things outside of being a secretary. She's, I'm the first girl since the war to write copy and I'm doing this and I'm doing that. Like, like honey, I'm doing fine. Like if you just looked at what I'm doing, you, you would see that I don't need the help you think I need because I've gained a few pounds. That's right. Peggy's really growing up in this and, and we're, we're, that, was, that was one indication of that for sure. She's not threatened by Joan. Mm -hmm. And that was part of it too. She could relax and be like, she really can't hurt me 
mm-hmm. because I, I want something different anyway. I don't, I don't want, I, I don't want what she's having. Right. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm, tra- I'm transcending this, this whole thing of got to look good. Got to find a husband, house yeah. in the country, move out, get hitched, have kids. Like I'm just not, I'm not on that track. And thank goodness I've learned that I can write because that's my, that's my ticket out. Yeah. That's an interesting juxtaposition to Betty reentering the workforce for a minute. Yeah, right. right? Exactly. Um, and actually the episode starts early on with, with Don coming home and saying, Oh, the girl, the girl is all my, the girl's all distracted. Right. Let's take a real quick break. We've got a couple things when we come back. We've got our quotes and a little behind the scenes where the sausage is made. A little backstory for you. So we'll be right back. (laughs) Joanne Worley again. We're back. And so just a little behind the scenes uh, insider thing. Robin Weiss, who was at the time a writing assistant on the show, you know, they'd sit around the writer's table and they would tell stories of their childhoods. And the final scene, the whole, that whole storyline of the birds and the dog and the neighbor and the shooting was, was Robin Veith's mother, except she she said she was a latchkey kid and she's young. She's, uh, that, I mean, she was probably in the eighties was a kid, I think. Probably. Yeah. Um, but she, uh, and it was a real, it was an actual rifle. It was not a, a BB gun, but that was her story. And I just, it's amazing. First of amazing, all, it's amazing. Right? It, the process that's, I love hearing about that, the process. And second, like, like, like that's one of those stories you look at and you're like, well, who could make that up? And it's because you can't make that <laughs> you up. Can't like, make what, it up. Yeah. Yeah. It's true. It's true. And just the style and the visual and the music and Betty with the cigarette hang dangling from her mouth. It just, there's no show. There's no creative mind. I might, to to my way of thinking that could come up with that whole, the whole thing that, that gives that the power that it does is, is Matthew Weiner. It's just, I mean, you, it's, you're looking at that to the ever increasing volume of you are my special angel. Mm-hmm. And then cuts to black and you're like, what the fuck did I just say? <laughs> like, yeah. like, and that's, that's not them. Like, well, you, really. ref- you referenced it earlier a little bit about, you know, the you kids better not be jumping on the bed up the, you know, the kind of like domesticity, yes. domestic tranquility, the, the, the smile, those kids, you know, yeah. Cut. Yeah. Cut to <laughs> chick, chick, poof. Chick, chick, Cut to, there's your Sopranos. <laughs> you, know? you know, that was Yeah, not, she's the that, one with the gun. Don didn't, was not Don the didn't soprano. shoot anybody. She yeah, did. she was not the Soprano we were expecting, right? <laughs> not, so true. Not your mother's Soprano. <laughs> Quotes. Dan, what do you got? You know, I love how, I love recalling that Matthew Weiner, like, wrote for comedy. You know, wrote for Becker. And, you know, really, he's kind of cut his teeth as a comedy writer. So to me, there are elements, and we mentioned earlier about the sight gag of, you know, Roger and Don leaving the office with the 
the the brouhaha behind them. <laughs> um, I mean, that was a that was an LOL. That there's a number. There's show. a number of really great throughout the series. There's just sort of moments of just incredible sight gags, and we'll we'll mention them all because they're all worthy. But to me, that's part of this kind of like um, every now and then they'll just be like something that you know they love putting in as a joke. This is not a comedy, right? This is not a <laughs> This is a pure dramedy, excuse me, a pure drama uh, of a series uh, would never be confused for a comedy. But there are these just little lines and they're mostly given to Roger because John Slattery delivers a line better than anybody on the planet. So after the whole Nixon Kennedy thing with the, getting all the praise from Burt Cooper, he says, Roger, I didn't think you had it in you. And I mean that, <laughs> which is, I don't know, just such a, you know, one of these short little Bon mots that that Roger throws out there, but but it lands so well, and uh, I don't know, tickled me, laughed at it, so good. Roger Sterling, anything he says. Sterling's gold. Uh, Sterling's gold. <laughs> so mine is um, again. Don is very interesting in this episode, and there were many interesting things he said in that in this scene. I'm plucking one line, which is. Um, if I leave this place one day, it will not be for more advertising. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just interesting. And then he, uh, and then, and then just the response, just, I want to fill in the, and then Roger says, what else is there? Um, if, if you had to, Roger says, what else is there? If you had to choose a place to die, it'd be in the middle of the pitch or something to that effect. And Don says, I've done that. And I thought, well, yeah, we've seen you. <laughs> like <laughs> that, we've, we've already seen that happen, right? It fits into the, the, we didn't even mention all of them, but if you go back through the episode, there's, um, there's a handful of references to when I die and Betty says something about it being in a box and there's just, there's a, there's that existential, uh, thing and, and, um, but also the, the larger thing again, this is, um, this is a different look at the, this episode is a different look at the mystery that is Don Draper or Mm. Dick Whitman of, wait, you wouldn't? And then this whole thing about there's another life out there and I can live it, you know, like, and you're kind of like, what, what's right. that? Don's been reading just, the cereal boxes, right. Right, and the, um, then he's just going home to Austin to his angel wife, mother. You know, it's just, it's, it doesn't answer questions about Don. It just makes you ask more, right? Well, it's funny because that, that's the line, I think, from this episode that you carry forward. In other mm-hmm. words, th- this is the line that comes back to shoot is always this one about if I'm not going to leave here, it's going to be for more advertising because as the series goes on, you know, we learn about Don's relationship with advertising. We learn how he views uh, what they do as a profession. It's it's all wrapped into his identity. So this is the line. This is a little bit of a keystone for, for that whole dynamic, which is great. Yeah. I tried to be good. I tried to, I don't always pick a line that's uh sort of enigmatic of the entire series. Um, and I, <laughs> I, I, tried to, I tried to give you one of those this time. So I think that's it. I think we've covered shoot. We've shot it. We've shot shoot, shoot a shot. <laughs> and uh, I'm going to go do a couple shots. Listen, um, great stuff. Next week, we're going to talk about Long Weekend. Covers Labor Day for uh, our friends at Sterling Cooper. So that's what we'll be talking about till and then. I believe that weekend, I believe while that is a long weekend, it only has one Friday. Yeah. I mean, we're, we're, <laughs> spoiler. You know, I'll watch it six times and try and <laughs> decipher. 
Uh, but, uh, good stuff, Roberta. We will see you next time. Thank you so much for listening and following and hanging out with us. Bye, everybody. Bye.